So expect more of where that came from. Where that came from, of course, is not the impromptu nature of no Monday edition of the Fast Lane, but the why there was no Monday edition of the Fast Lane. The NFL playoffs on Martin Luther King Jr. Day mean that we're glad to be back with you after a couple days off Tuesday here in the Fast Lane. So we'll get to that in the Fast Five at five-ish, but it overshadowed the opportunity to touch on something that was a little more fresh in my mind after the game on Sunday, Liberty after having a 49-41 lead in the second half to Louisiana Tech, ultimately losing that game in overtime to fall to 0-3 in Conference USA play. And that capped off a weekend where the Virginia Tech men's basketball team lost to Miami, the Virginia Cavalier men's basketball team lost down in Winston-Salem in a similar fashion to what has dogged them for much of the season. Not to mention the Virginia Tech Lady Hokies losing at Florida State and the Virginia Lady Cavaliers losing at North Carolina. Oh, and by the way, JNU and Radford also lost on the hardwood this weekend. It was not a banner weekend, so maybe you're grateful that we waited a day to dive into the supposed post-mortem. And it is a little different in basketball than it is in football, where losses are frustrating, but there's a little bit more, relatively speaking here, grace period that a lot of programs will grant their coaches. But it begs the question, from what we saw over the weekend, how much do you trust your coach? Because that's really, if you're that frustrated with what your team has done, what's your level of trust with your coach? That this is part of the process this year. It may be a bad year for you, but part of a longer-term process that you ultimately believe your coach can guide you to overcome. So first and foremost... I think there are certain cases where it's obvious not to panic. Virginia Tech Lady Hokies losing at Florida State, first time in the ACC. That's a top 25 team. They were in the game late. It wasn't their best performance, particularly defensively, giving up uh, almost 90. But there's enough data there uh, this year and last year with this cast of characters, coach and players, that I'll give Kennedy, Kenny Brooks, as well as Georgia Amor, Liz Kitley, and, and that group, the benefit of the doubt. The Virginia Lady Cavaliers. I'd put it as an incomplete. Last year they were so banged up by the time ACC play rolled around. I don't know how much you could really invest in their dissolving in ACC play. This year they've been more competitive, but it has not shown up on the win-loss record. And to quote the great Bill Parcells, as people like to often do, you are what your record says you are. But those are kind of the opposite ends. One has got such concrete data recently, and the other has such incomplete data. Virginia Tech women, concrete. Virginia Lady Cavaliers, uh, very incomplete, still crystallizing. That I, I think you reserve judgment in those cases. For JMU, by and large, I'll give Mark Byington the benefit of the doubt, but they didn't look good against App State this weekend, and, and things have started to become more challenging for them. I get there in the others receiving votes in the top 25 polls, but also... A lot of the metrics don't like the JMU Duke. So the worry meter is a topic we will lead off covering the Commonwealth Part 2 with Shane Metlin of the Harrisonburg Daily News record around 545 today. Radford, their loss this past weekend at Winthrop. Look, they were coming off having played less than 48 hours before a really physical game, including the altercation at the end, and that victory against Longwood, which is a tough place to play and always a perennial team to win the Big South in men's basketball. So for Radford to be in that game as long as they were, but ultimately fall short 
I mean, look, tired legs, I get it, given the situation. I'm not going to throw too much shade at what Darius Nichols did there uh, for them. The more complex cases, of course, are the ones that are in our immediate backyard. The Virginia Tech Hokies, the Virginia Cavaliers, and the Liberty Flames. First for the Virginia Tech Hokies. They lose to Miami. All that momentum, they started to seemingly gather from that win against Clemson last Wednesday. Seemed like it went out the door. And for Mike Young, he mentioned as such afterwards that they continued to show progress, but when you make mistakes and lose the game, it often overshadows it, as Mike Young mentioned after the game on the Virginia Tech Radio Network, as you hear every Hokie game, right here on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. Did a lot of really good things. Um, a lot of really good things. Played really hard. Uh, I thought I saw our team grow up this week, and uh, we've got a lot to look forward to. Uh, you cannot turn the ball over 15 times uh, in it in any game. Uh, certainly not against a good team like Miami, and they've got uh, they've got a good team. We had uh, we had our shots. Um, we had our shots. Uh, bad start to the second half. Uh, under three, and number seven, lo and behold, he banks a shot in the basket. Um, you know, it's the game. Uh, here we are. Mike Young, you can sense the frustration after the loss to Miami that it overshadowed the issues that had seemingly been resolved. And Mike Young was confident enough in the progress that when he met with the media yesterday, here's what he had to say about growing up against Miami and that upon further review of that film, he and his staff are convinced the Hokies, even though they lost to the Miami Hurricanes and missed a chance to get a a bit of a resume-boosting victory, for a team that I would say at this point is pretty clearly on the outside of the NCAA tournament looking in. And frankly, I'd put Virginia in that category as well. Um, But it was a missed opportunity. Mike Young doubled down on the idea of growth. I thought we grew up a little bit in the the past week. Um, We grew up, uh, I I, I hope. Um, You know, golly day, we made some mistakes down the stretch on Saturday. But... um, uh, I liked, I thought we were very, very good. I thought probably our best game against uh, Clemson on Wednesday. Um, we had some great stretches, uh, really good basketball against uh, against Miami. Um, but boy, you make a mistake defensively and they make you pay. So that's Mike Young. He's he's mentioning and kind of reiterating what he said in the Virginia Tech Radio Network postgame show that you heard on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app as you hear every Hokie game right here. And that's the idea of growing up some. The question is, how much do you trust Mike Young? I wouldn't put it on the level of Kenny Brooks at Virginia Tech or even a Tony Bennett or a Richie McKay. The sustained success just hasn't been there in Blacksburg for me to totally buy into it. But I don't think any of the coaches right now are in the clear, oh, it looks like they don't really know what to do category. Because last year's team was injury-riddled. The Hokies did not have answers. And now it looks like they're struggling again. And I do think you can sense a pattern here for Mike Young. But they did have their issues a couple of years ago. They improved down the stretch and carried that improvement into the ACC tournament, which they won, and punched their ticket to the NCAA tournament. So uh, cumulative over-the-season body of work, I don't think overly favors Mike Young. But there is a proof of concept that in Blacksburg, 
he, he can get it together as he's in his fourth season now. So I don't completely dismiss the idea that he could be the guy. He's gotten this team to the postseason uh, multiple times, including winning an ACC tournament and a couple of trips to the NCAAs. Remember the year before they uh, won the ACC tournament, they lost in the first round uh, to Florida, but they still managed to make it that far. So there's a bit of proof of concept. I think the more complicated ones, though, are teams like the Liberty Flames and the Virginia Cavaliers. Because uh, for Virginia and Tony Bennett, there's a lot of the benefit of the doubt. I don't think the roster, watching it from the outside, it looks like every time it seems like Virginia has a vision for a perfect roster, something pops up. A player like Caden Shedrick doesn't like his role, so he ends up transferring out. And what may be a real lose-lose situation, because he hadn't seemingly bolstered Texas, and Virginia could use his services right now. Same thing with the Jabri Abdurrahim. Georgia's unlikely to make the NCAA tournament right now, but he's boosted his individual scoring role, and if he were more patient in Charlottesville, the same thing could have happened. Which is where I actually get Tony Bennett when he says what he said afterwards, which is that there were, after the loss to Wake Forest, that the issues were both offensive and defensive in that debacle. The first half, I would have said, you know, for us, solid. The second half, it was both. Uh, we couldn't seem to stop Wake off the dribble. They just kind of went either by us or at us, and boom, they're in the lane. And then um, even some of the good looks we got in the second half, we couldn't capitalize on them. That's Tony Bennett. And it goes to the questions of, do you believe they are mentally equipped as a coaching staff to have the right answers? I, I un- undoubtedly say that. I mean, people may forget, but when Tony Bennett was losing players to the transfer portal before the Joe Harris, Akeel Mitchell era, this was a Virginia program that Tony Bennett still managed to get kind of to where they are right now. A fringe NCAA tournament caliber team, but one that nobody really thought could make a real dent. And then when they were able to settle things down and solve their roster construction issues, things got better. Now, I get it. It's more challenging in the era of name image likeness and the transfer portal, but I will throw this out there to the Virginia Cavalier fans. And yes, I understand there's some UVA folks out there they kind of poo-poo this concept of pay-for-play. Dude, look, that's the reality of this day and age. And yes, you do have the ability on top of that to sell to a Ryan Dunn or a Reese Beekman or let's just say Dunn leaves and joins Beekman going to the NBA. Beekman's eligibility expires. Dunn, by many accounts, is a projected top 15 pick. I'm going to assume he's more likely to go because usually players in that situation are more likely to go. And generally, when you're a projected top 15 pick, it's based on upside, not based upon schematic fit. So it's less fluid than the NFL draft. The NBA is more potential based. But let's just assume that happens. Isaac McNeely, Leon Bond, uh, other players that will come in. Can Elijah Gertrude have an elevated role? I mean, there are still potential pieces in place. Can Robinson, the kid that's redshirting, that's the big man, can he get strong enough to contribute? Could Buchanan take that step? Can Virginia, let's be honest, find guys in the transfer portal? And will they put an NIL package together? I think those are reasonable questions for Virginia because Tony Bennett mentioned the issues on both offense and defense. And on the one hand, it's frustrating to watch this Virginia team. I was down there in Winston-Salem. And as frustrating as it was for the defensive lapses at times for Virginia, it fully seemed apparent to me watching them in person. And I haven't seen them as much as our kicking off, covering the Commonwealth guest, Jerry Ratcliffe, 5.30 p.m. today, as much as he's seen them in person. But defensive breakdowns happen from time to time. 
But if you're not perfect there, it also is helpful. This is complimentary basketball here. And I'm not hopefully getting too much into the weeds. But to have something offensively where you can bail a team out, and it just looks like there's not that there for Virginia. The leap that you want to see out of a guy like Ryan Dunn, athletic to create his own shot, particularly around the rim, hasn't happened. Uh, you know, We mentioned last week, hey, this is a great chance for Ryan Dunn to step up and show that, oh, it's his opportunity. Uh, not exactly. One of four shooting for a paltry four points. Reese Beekman, the only Virginia player with 10 points. Jordan Miner had nine, but a lot of them are what I would call garbage points. In other words, you know, you're kind of around the rim and it's a missed shot, it's a loose ball, or it's an opportunity because other guys are covered. Isaac McNeely, eight points. Two of 10 shooting, 0 of 2 from the three. And granted, Wake did a great job taking that away from Virginia. The Deeks made that a real emphasis in that game, and Steve Forbes said such afterwards. But the lack of shot creators at Virginia, it keys on the fact that you almost have to be perfect defensively. And I get Tony Bennett wants his guys to do that. And yes, I understand the outside sales point that it's painful to watch this team. But I also do believe in what Tony Bennett has said because if you get your guys to be able to play perfect defensively, Ryan Dunn may be the greatest example that yet coming. You're going to probably be a first-round pick if you're talented enough because in the NBA, the first question is what position can you guard? And Virginia will help you answer that question pretty emphatically to where you can be drafted high, you can stick in the league, and your offensive game can develop. Virginia's challenge is getting those guys to develop while they're at Virginia. So it's a real legitimate question. I don't dispute the long-term acumen of this team, but can fans be patient enough with Tony Bennett? That's the question that I want, and frankly, will that staff look to make some changes and tweaks offensively, if not in philosophy in terms of how they construct a roster in the offseason and what additional steps they can potentially take? Because guys like Jacob Groves, guys like Andrew Rohde, I never, I had concern about what they could bring. Jordan Miner finally had a big game. But none of those guys screams, oh, snap, look at him, athleticism. And Virginia has some guys like that on the roster. And if they stick around long enough, a Bond or a Gertrude, I'm not holding my breath again for Dunn, there's some potential there for Virginia. But it also would be helpful for Virginia to have other guys that can also complement that so you can spread the burden out amongst different people because nobody has taken that step forward that you would want. And in an eerily similar way, I think Liberty's kind of in the same boat. Richie McKay, he mentioned it earlier, a little bit different, that once again in the loss to Louisiana Tech, he was fine with the shot selection of his team in that loss, but there are still concerns for this team. And, you know, for the coaching staff, they're not panicking, but clearly a lot of Liberty fans, I don't get the whole tear it down, burn it to the ground. They need to retool the staff. Uh, remember Dale Lair? I mean, just, just flash yourself back if you're a Liberty fan to that era as painful as it may be. And then realize that sometimes there are ebbs and flows to a program, and clearly it's not the good flow. It's the bottoming down part for Liberty right now, it feels that way. A win three to start Conference USA play. But again, philosophy-wise, I don't think they're off base, as Richie McKay was willing to say, based on the fact that he's pleased with their shot selection. There's ebbs and flows to every season. And sometimes you're you're not gonna you're not gonna make the shots you take, even when they're open ones or good looks and uh, I think for us, we, we just keep imploring our guys to take the right one, make the good decision, uh, be unselfish, because that's, uh, that's certainly uh, in our DNA. Um, and we still miss some open ones tonight, but we did a better job of getting to the rim and finishing there. Just couldn't overcome the, the size disadvantage. And I mean, they had 40 points in the paint and 21 made free throws. 
Uh, that's a lot to overcome. When you hear that constantly, I mean, for Virginia, it's obvious they continue to get out rebounded and they struggle to score around the rim and create their own shots. Liberty, kind of in a similar boat. It really speaks to roster construction and the fact that it, it stinks as a fan to believe you're kind of stuck in this spot, but you kind of are. And for Liberty, at least they're getting good looks offensively. Virginia's not even getting that. Liberty's getting them. They're just not going in. So at some point, you believe if you continue to play good defense and the shots go in, you'll have something. Now, for Liberty, some of their best players like Virginia, they're bench guys, they're younger guys, you're still trying to season them. Virginia is actually having to play some of those guys a little bit earlier than they would have liked. But Liberty's in that same boat. And the real question to ask yourself is, how much do you trust the coaching staff to get it together? And here's another one. Would you rather be in the spot you're in where you're struggling because of that? Or would you rather be in the spot like a Carolina last year where there are obvious team chemistry issues uh, going forward? And and honestly, I'd much rather be in the Virginia one because at least it means you have your identity. It's just a matter of getting the right pieces in place to figure out what your identity is. It's just, yes, I get it. It's kind of painful in the short term. Much like it's kind of painful if you look at your insurance bill and you realize it's not as affordable as it could be or it's not as comprehensive as it could be whatever you need Gardner insurance solutions can make sure you have the right plan for home insurance auto insurance and bundling those policies together they are not a captive agency so they will shop for the best carrier like they did for me old forest road in lynchburg Gardner insurance solutions now to other acc basketball topics to discuss right now in the fast five at five ish It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. So we kind of touched on Wake Forest, but they go on the road to NC State this evening. What should be a real fun, high-scoring basketball game? The Deeks were willing to play Virginia's pace and did it well enough to outscore the Wahoos 39-26 in the second half last week down in Winston-Salem or this past weekend. But they much more prefer to go faster NC State obviously would. I give them credit. They gritted out that win. They held on at Louisville 89-83. It wasn't pretty, but it's the type of game that in prior years, State would have lost. Instead, they went to, much like Wake, a 12-4 record. I mean, right now, I think it's reasonable to say, I know people scoff at this most years, but the best teams in the conference in the ACC are the four teams in North Carolina because they've all played the most consistently good brand of basketball should make for a fun matchup. And it also leads us to another point that... I mean, that game was never in doubt. I know Syracuse is not great in the first year of Red Autry, but Carolina was up 52-30. to At no point did they let off the gas. And once again, that defense for Carolina looks really good. I get the upside is there for Duke. Um, a younger roster, so I'm a little bit more leery that they're going to be able to actually put it all together over a period of time. But this is a really good North Carolina team. I think Duke's upside is good enough that they could challenge Carolina. But right now, North Carolina, I've gushed about them before, but they look like a very comprehensive and complete basketball team. Number four. Watch for this trend to possibly keep continuing. But Kalen DeBoer zeroed in on and eventually was chosen as the new defensive coordinator or chose his new defensive coordinator for, for Alabama as South Alabama head coach Kane Womack. Just keep this in mind. That was a guy that was rumored to be a finalist for Liberty if Jamie Chabell did not take the job. That Liberty might target Kane Womack to be their head football coach. And yet, he's leaving South Alabama not to be a head football coach at a comparable G5 program like Liberty or a JMU, 
but instead he's leaving to become a defensive coordinator at a bigger name power conference program. Liberty, I don't think has to worry about this. I don't even think JMU does because both of them have a pretty good program identity and Liberty, obviously, they've got the money to be able to compensate very well. But watch for this trend because it's not the first time we've seen this. Obviously, you saw the head coach now at San Diego State who used to be the head coach at Kent State, um, whose name escapes me right now, but was the offense, Sean Lewis, was the offensive coordinator at Kent State, left to become the offensive coordinator, was the head coach at Kent State, Sean Lewis was, head coach at Kent State, left to become the offensive coordinator at Colorado, and then eventually parlayed that into a better head coaching job by most accounts. Just watch for this particular trend to continue where more assistant, more head coaches are willing to become assistant coaches, even if it means dropping down because they believe it's going to help them more over the long haul. Number three. Transfer portal. News and nugget updates. One of them being this. The Liberty Flames have not lost CJ Daniels. More on that. We need more time, so we'll get to that tomorrow in the fast lane. But the Flames have added Wisconsin transfer linebacker Aiden Vaughn, another player, he was a three-star recruit, was with Wisconsin initially, picked Liberty over other teams like Kent State, Eastern Michigan, and Ball State. Think uh, coach and develop, but Liberty doing a better job of that. Um, Seemed to have fallen out of favor previously, but was a pretty good instinctive linebacker at the high school level. I I like this for Liberty. I think there's a power five pedigree there. Should be able to work with Joe Carter and more importantly, Jerome Jolly and then the ECU transfer Taylor Jackson to bolster the Liberty linebacking corp. They need some new additions to that defense in part because that was one of the more exposed units for the Flames last year. Number two. Speaking of transfers, Daquan Wright transferring to Ole Miss from Virginia Tech. Uh, we'll get into this with David Cunningham of TechSideline.com and covering the Commonwealth. But I'm actually not upset about this. I'm a Virginia Tech fan. And yes, Ole Miss, maybe they transfer. They've been very heavily invested in the immortal words of our guy, Kenny Powers. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Financially, of course, when it comes to the transfer portal. But I never thought the role was going to be that good. Virginia Tech was a very run-heavy team. And when they threw, they threw to the wide receivers. Fewer targets for right, fewer productivity. And they look like they've got guys that can maybe be more comprehensive at the tight end position. This seems like a win-win for Wright to go to Ole Miss where he's athletic enough to play at that level. But maybe not quite ready to develop fully. I I like that move overall. And number one on the Fast Five at Five-ish. An update on what's going on in the coaching carousel. We know about openings that have taken place. New England and Belichick was basically, they mutually parted ways last week. New England is filled with Gerard Mayo. Meanwhile, the openings are still there for Washington, Las Vegas, and the LA Chargers, Atlanta, Carolina, Tennessee as well, and the Seattle Seahawks. There are questions, though, surrounding potential openings popping up. The Philadelphia Eagles, after that debacle last night, I could certainly see why. The Dallas Cowboys, after their debacle on Sunday, pour one out for the NFC least because it had all the hype and none of the productivity in the postseason for that conference and what it generates. But the Pittsburgh Steelers appear not to be one of those. After walking out yesterday when being asked after the loss to Buffalo whether or not the Pittsburgh Steelers would, in fact, be looking for a new head coach, Mike Tomlin Reportedly, has already told his team he plans to coach in 2024. He's entering the final year of his contract. Look, I mean, if they want it to work out, they will. Pittsburgh is not a brash decision-making organization. I would be rather surprised if there is any real tangible change when it comes to that particular coaching spot. Even after Tomlin has said he expects to come back, 
Uh, some coaches may backtrack off of that and never say never with Tomlin, but again, he is a very outwardly Christian and religious person. And granted, there are plenty of people that are that way, and yet when it comes to business, uh, they'll lie because all is fair in love, war, and business. But the reality is, is I don't think Tomlin fits that mold, so I would venture to say Pittsburgh is likely one that will not be looking for a new head coach going forward. And there is your Fast Five at five When we return in the fast lane, more on the Who's, the Hokies, and the Liberty Flames. David Cunningham, TechSideline.com, followed, preceded by Jerry Ratcliffe, and followed by Alan York in covering the Commonwealth Part 1, next here in the Fastlane.